Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. What's up, everybody? It's the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. Got another solid, solid episode for you today. Today, I've got Ashley Kerr, and Ashley is living in Buffalo, New York on a dairy farm, owns 34 properties. She's built this portfolio over the last five years. These are cash flowing, net of debt service and operating expenses, $100 to $200 a door. And her portfolio is comprised of single families, duplexes, triplexes, and she's closing on a fourplex with a couple commercial units in it. Um, she's got three that she owns free and clear, and she owns all these at 75% loan to value or less. You're going to hear some cool stories, one of which she landed at a 6% rent ratio, which is the craziest rent ratio I've heard so far on any from any guests we've had on here. Um, she's got a couple partners. Uh, that she's worked with and built this with. And um, she's going to share some really cool apps that you can use to really uh, streamline and systematize your real estate investing game and business. And um, there's a couple cool book recommendations at the end. I think you're really going to enjoy this time with Ashley and um, her approach to how she's built out her real estate business. She's crushing it. And uh, I want you guys to crush it too. And um, side note, my book is in editing right now and I've I've got it being basically produced and it should be out in the next month or two. So I'm super excited about that and I'd really love for you guys to uh, to check it out once it's out and uh, hopefully it will help you become even better at real estate investing and you can learn from from uh, my mistakes and from anything I've happened to to learn through my process as well. And I'm really hoping the book is actually a a motivator for all of you. So I'll I'll give you more information on that as it develops. But I've also been asked to interview on the Bigger Pockets podcast, and that's going to be coming up here on their show in the next uh, month or two. And I'm excited and honored to be on that as well. So uh, without further ado, as always, I want you guys to sit back, relax, and have a rotten time. Ashley, I'm excited to have you on the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. Yes, thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to it, and I'm glad we were able to get together. Same here. So uh, so today we've got Ashley Kerr on the podcast, and she has made a lot of really great progress uh, investing in the one to four family space, and has got a, a commercial property under contract. And um, I thought I thought the uh, the listeners on this podcast would really benefit from hearing your story, Ashley, and um, you kind of sharing how you were able to build this because this is what everybody's trying to do. And um, you guys have have uh, have really been killing it. So so let's dive into this. Tell tell us you know where you're located, uh, kind of how you got to where you are right now, and you know what your real estate portfolio looks like and that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm located outside of Buffalo, New York in um, a small little town. My husband is a dairy farmer. So we live out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> but that's where I've been investing. I've been looking into these uh, small towns um, and buying single family uh, duplexes and triplexes in these areas. And I started about five years ago 
uh, with a partner. He was the money guy. And then I found the deal and I managed the properties. Um, so from there, I still have that partner. We have properties together. And then I uh, started with another partner where we're 50-50 on everything. And then um, I've gone out on my own too and purchased some on my own. Very cool. Very cool. So how many units do you have currently? Um, I have 30 right now and hopefully closing on a quadplex today. So that will put me at 34. That's awesome. Congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. That, yeah, man, that's I'm a lot. I mean, that's a lot of progress in five years. I'm not going to lie. That's great. So tell us, um, so are you said these are one to, are they mostly single families or what, what's the portfolio, uh, comprised of? There's one triplex, one single family and the rest are duplexes. Okay. Cool. So in total, there'll be, after today, there'll be 16 properties. So. Gotcha. And are, are these all in Buffalo, New York? Yeah, they're all within like 30 minutes from my house. Um, I only have two duplexes that are actually in the city of Buffalo and it's actually considered South Buffalo. Um, and then the rest are scattered out in like small little rural towns. Super cool. So, um, and you mentioned a second ago, you have another investor, the second investor you're doing everything 50, 50 with is, is that investor helping you run the projects? Are they fronting the money or how, how does that work? So for our first property, we didn't have to put any money into the deal. So it worked out kind of nice after we refinanced, we actually each got a thousand dollars each back. What? <laughs> yeah. Dude, so that's awesome. That, was our first deal together and really exciting, but, um, he does all the maintenance, um, handles that. And then I do the leasing and the management part of it. And cool. then last year we bought a triplex together and we actually, um, both put in our own money and we have an LLC together. So we split the purchase price and the LLC pays us both back. So we each have a note with the LLC and are nice. getting paid back for that plus interest. Nice, so, nice. I know there's yeah. a th- there's a thousand different ways you can structure these things. I was just curious about that. So are you managing this? We'll, we'll include the fourplex. Are you, gonna, are, are you planning to manage the fourplex yourself? And do you currently manage all these other uh, 30 properties yourself? Yeah, I do. I um, have actually gotten a lot better at it from when I first started just finding out about property management software. And if you have, I would say even 10 units, it's so worth it to invest in property management software. I I use that. And then um, I've set up uh, Google Voice. So I have a separate number right on my phone that uh, tenants can call me and contact me through there. And it's my own uh, voicemail just for them on there. Yeah. And let me, let me stop um, you real quick. Let me stop you real quick. What, what software do you use to manage? Um, I use Buildium. Okay, cool. Is that, has that been a pretty good experience? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's very user-friendly. Um, it's like a lot of people use cozy and it's a step up from cozy. And then I would say the next step up from Buildium would be Appfolio, okay. uh, which I yeah. use for my, my full-time job. I use Appfolio to manage some properties. Okay. There. Okay. So you're, you're self-managing these 34 and then for your full-time job, you're managing some, uh, what are you managing for your full-time job? I'm doing a uh, two 40 unit apartment complexes. Oh, I wow. work for one investor and then um, there's about 10 commercial properties. So that's how I actually got started into real estate was I was seeing what he was doing and I figured I could do it too. So 
Um, my first partner was actually his son. And I've been managing his properties for about almost seven years now. Cool. But it's been a really nice learning experience because I helped him grow his business and in turn, it's helped me grow mine. Absolutely. So um, these these apartments you manage, are is there an office on site? Are you doing that from home or how, how have you structured that? Actually, this week will be my first, uh, it has been my first week uh, working at home. I'm his daughter. I've been training her the last couple of years to kind of take over for me. So she, we do have an office that she's going to be working in and then I'll be working at home. So I'm really Cool. Looking forward to that transition. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds like you've you've become a rock star property manager, and and um, I, I saw something you posted on Instagram the other day. And by the way, um, listeners, go go follow Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and on Instagram. She's got a really cool Instagram page. I saw something you posted you. on Instagram. Yeah, sure. Um, about um the the ways you've kind of streamlined your management process and you had a number of things you posted up there. And I thought that was a really cool post. And you were talking through a couple of those things a second ago. Can you walk us through kind of some best practices you've discovered on managing properties? Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I love managing uh, from anywhere and from my phone. <laughs> so the biggest thing that has helped me is just using apps. So um every property management software pretty much has an app where I can go in and look and see who's paid. Um, there's a, I have a couple residents that still mail their checks so I can just enter it right into um, the software on my phone. And then I can just do um, use my banking app to deposit the check from my phone. So I've really streamlined a lot of um, like my rental income coming in with most people paying online. And then even with uh, paying bills, I have a, an app on my phone to scan documents and I'll scan the bill. And then I just go into my online banking, do bill pay, and I attach the bill to the payable in the property management software. Sweet. So what's nice about the property management software is it's like all built into one. So you have the management of the properties and all your tenant information, but it also, you can keep your bookkeeping in there. Yeah. And just all kind of ties together. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about which apps these are. Cause I know people are probably going to want to go look these up. You mentioned yeah. Buildium for property management software. And just, just so mm-hmm. everybody knows I have no affiliation with any of these companies. I've, I've used Google voice myself. I've not used Buildium before, but what, um, what app do you use to scan documents and that kind of thing? Um, iScanner is a really good one. Um, and then also I just learned recently from uh, someone on Instagram that you can, if you have the notes app on an iPhone, you can actually scan documents through that app. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, um, I'm, cause I'm looking back here at your Instagram post cause I thought it was so good. I actually saved some of this information, but you mentioned using Google drive. Tell us how you guys leverage Google drive. So any, we're pretty much paperless. So any document gets put into Google Drive. And so if anyone ever needs anything from me, I just have to have my phone and I can email it to them or, um, you know, look up that information. So all tenant leases, um, any paperwork, like we have some Section 8 uh, residents. So any of them, we keep all their paperwork in there. Um, And then even just stuff for my accountant, having that, you know, all my tables, everything readily available to send to them. 
Yeah. I love Google Drive. And, um, yeah. you know, if you get, for people who don't use it and don't know about it, you know, it's kind of like Dropbox. I mean, you, you have a, a share drive in the, in the cloud that you can basically upload and save documents to and then share them with other parties. And we use Google Drive a lot in our business as well. And I, mm-hmm. I, I actually, since I'm an appraiser, I back up my files to Google Drive so I've got in case my computer crashes because right. I'm, I'm required to keep copies of that stuff. And so on the rental side, you know, it's like you can keep all your financial documents from your closings and your leases and all that kind of stuff. It's it's good to have them backed up somewhere so you don't lose that stuff if something crashes. So Right. Um, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, um, in Buildium, you can keep all that information in there too, but I, I definitely like the security too of having it cool. in Google Drive and then... Cool. And then you talked about um, an app to track your mileage and stuff, which by the way, I've been tracking my mileage and that is a massive tax tax deduction for me every year. Yeah. So if if you guys are doing real estate work full time and you're not tracking your mileage, this will save you a lot of money. So do it. You need to do it. So anyway, tell us what you use to track your mileage. So I use Everland. Um, There's a free version of it. I think you get up to 30 trips. Uh, a month, um, which I definitely don't go to my properties that much, but I do um, have a PO box where um, that is the only mailing address that um, my tenants have. So the few that do mail checks, I have that. And then any paper bills that are still sent out, um, go to that PO box too. So every time I go to the PO box, I track it. Um, It's actually, I pick the town to have the PO box in that my son goes to school. So when I go to the post office, I can just drop him off at school. <laughs> nice. Works out well. Cool. Cool. And uh, the last the last page on your post, I know we're going down this rabbit hole of, of, of apps, but I think it's really helpful. So um, the last page, you said you were using Google Calendar and, and Google Tasks to kind of schedule things in. How do you, how do you leverage that? So um, for showings mostly, and I do um, like block showing, kind of like open houses where I say, I please come at this time. And then I schedule as many people as I can into that one time slot so cool. that I'm not spending two, three days showing it at various times. Yeah. And plus with some of the properties, you know, being 20 to 30 minutes from my house, I don't want to keep driving there. Yeah. So um, I'll time block, use Google Calendar for that time slot and then Anyone that says that they're coming, I'll just put their name and their phone number in there in case there's an issue. But I like how you can write notes into the appointment of the Google Calendar. Yeah. And then for Google Tasks, um, in Buildium, my tenants can actually submit a um, request to me through that and I'll get a, a notification on my phone. So if I um, am busy doing something, I can just add it into my Google Tasks real quick, like, you know, do this for this person at this property. Um, and it just, it's helpful to have those little reminders when you're constantly on the go, you can just put it in there and look at it later. Yeah. That's awesome. Super cool and super helpful. So, um, thanks for sharing the information, all those, all those applications that you use. I know that's going to be, that's going to benefit a lot of people. I use, um, miles IQ, uh, for to track my mileage and it's it's been oh, great okay. as well. So that's another option. I've I've not used the one you mentioned, but I would I would definitely recommend people getting something to track their right. mileage because that's a big deduction. And you know, keeping up with keeping up with expenses when you're doing this stuff is is paramount because of the the write offs you get at the end of the year. So, um, all right. So you mentioned in some of your properties you have Section Eight tenants, and we haven't really talked a lot about Section Eight on my podcast. So I would love for you to 
kind of run through, you know, what qualifies someone as a Section 8 tenant? How do you get your unit qualified to have a Section 8 tenant? And what does that involve? Okay. So we work with one um, housing organization that gives out Section 8 vouchers in uh, Buffalo. And basically, um, the, the right now, they have a two to three year waiting list for people to get into Section 8 housing through this organization. That's but crazy. what they do is when you're, yeah, when you're qualified, they give you a Section 8 voucher. You go out and you're, you find your apartment. And then they will send the landlord a landlord packet and you fill out all the information about the property. And then they make sure that um, the resident uh, can afford it. So they will tell the person they're paying this much towards the rent. So if the rent is 700, maybe they're covering 550 and then the tenant has to cover the rest. So they verify all that information. And I actually had someone move into an apartment and they uh, didn't approve them for that amount and they stopped their funding. So we had to switch them to a a cheaper apartment. So we definitely learned our lesson there to (laughs) make sure that they have that approval before they move in. But um, then they come out and they'll do an inspection of the unit, which I've never failed an inspection, um, but they just, you know, make sure, uh, you know, there's outlet covers on the, the water's working. There's no like damage to the apartment or anything like that. And then um, every month for the Section 8, for their portion of the rent, they will direct deposit it right into your bank account on the first. So for me, I look at it as kind of guaranteed rent. The only way this housing organization would stop funding is if uh, they, they come every year for an inspection. So if for some reason the inspection didn't pass, they would stop funding, but they give you still like 60 days to correct the issue before they would actually stop your funding. Cool. So um, how, how difficult is it to qualify your property for Section 8? Um, not very difficult at all. Um, what, they, is that, what does that process look like and how long does that take? Like what are they... What do you have to do to get your property ready for that? Um, actually, it's really easy because they they have so many people looking for apartments right now that um, I actually was emailed. Um, uh, they're starting to do listings right through their housing and they want you to send them your um, vacant listing before like marketing it elsewhere so that they can have their um, uh, people have first dibs on that that unit. But what they do is you, so you fill out paperwork first, that's the first step. And, um, then just the inspector comes out and it, it is kind of long, a long process, at least 30 days by the time the housing specialist like goes through your paperwork by the time they send an inspector out. So it's, you really want to know ahead of time and start the process before your unit's vacant. So it's not sitting open for a month before Mm -hmm. that person can actually move in. Sure. So that's the worst part of it. But if you know someone's moving out ahead of time and you get that section eight person lined up right away, it's, it's not an issue. Yeah. Cool. So uh, how's the, how's the experience been with the section eight tenants? How long do they tend to stay? Uh, Do they, do they stay, are they typically staying longer than most tenants? Are they, you know, are they staying short a shorter amount of time? Like what's, what's that experience been like? Um, the only time and most of the section eight tenants are at the, um, apartment complexes I manage. I've only had two in my own property, but, um, 
for them, the only ones that have left the apartment complexes are because they lost their funding. Right. They lose so, their, they lose their voucher then, because they're not, they start uh, making more money or, uh, you know, they violated a rule. Like, um, so I know, remember one person had a, a, their boyfriend move in and they couldn't have two people there and qualify. I got you. Um, so, uh, but the people we do have right now have lived there for over 10 years. There's three of them right now. Very cool. 10 years. Wow. That's, uh, that's, yeah. de- that's definitely longer than our average tenant stay in our single families on our end. So, yeah. um, very cool. Well, let, let's talk about how you've built this portfolio. I know, I know you mentioned uh, to me offline that you guys have used the Burr strategy, but tell us how you, uh, how you, you know, your average deal looks on building this, you know, 34 unit portfolio. Okay. So I was able to get a commercial line of credit. Um, my husband on his farm, he has an old farmhouse that was his grandma's and he bought it from his parents. So we went to um, a loan officer we had used before and he offered us a commercial line of credit. So um, we found we couldn't find anyone to give us a HELOC on uh, investment property, but he was willing to do a commercial line of credit. So it's technically a mortgage. Um, we had to pay mortgage tax on it, but we can um, withdraw from it and pay it off and then withdraw again. So it's, really a a unique um lending option i guess um but it's a really small bank i think they have five or seven branches so they're very flexible of what they've been able to do for us but right now we use that commercial line of credit to pull money off and then um, make a cash offer and then go in do some cosmetic updates get it rented and then we'll refinance it and then pay off my commercial line of credit very cool. Very cool. So is the commercial line of credit collateralized with the farmhouse? Yes. So, you know, they took the farmhouse as collateral for the line of credit. And then you're using this to to go out and buy properties, get your renovations done. Then you do your refinance at, you know, what are they, are they lending at 75% loan to value on your cash out refi or what's that typically look like? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, I can get up to 80 um, but I, I like to keep it under, uh, 75 or below. So that's great. Yeah. We, we've done the yeah. same thing. So anyway, to finish, they, you do your cash out refi at 75% loan to value based off of the, um, as complete value of the property and then, or, or the as is if, you know, your stuff's already been done. Um, and then, or the, and that's also called the ARV. Then you take that money and pay, pay off your line of credit, pay it back down to zero, and then you go and do more. So um, yeah, we, and we've done the same thing. Um, we try to keep ours at 75% loan to value or less Yeah, because it helps the cash flow, you know? Right. Right. And, and, you know, we've got some, like we just did one property where I think we bought it for, for 185. I think we put $10,000 into it. So we're all in it for 195 and it appraised for 308. Wow, so we had wow. a lot of, yeah, <laughs> we gained a lot of equity. We were really happy with that Yeah, and we could pull cash out. But we're like at where it's rented, it's cash flowing nicely. And if we pull that extra cash back out, it's going to really hurt our cash flow. And so we decided to leave the 10,000 in there and our cash on cash returns is good, even with that 10K in there. So we're, we're, right, ha- we're right. happy with it because we're wanting to, you know, we want to make sure there's, there's margin on our cash flow in case rents compress a little bit or something. And we don't want to have really tight cash flow and then 
have an issue, you know, and, and like we got cash in the bank, but our properties are bleeding money or something. So. Right. Right. And just to not be over leveraged. Exactly. Just, I think that helps me sleep better at night. Totally. Totally. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have 30 properties. I mean, as you, as you start getting more and more properties in that portfolio, you know, value goes up. Of course you've got, you know, you've got the debt, the debt's going up as well. And you know, the beauty of real estate to me is that you can use leverage. It can also be a killer if you misuse it. You know, mm-hmm. but um, but the proper use of leverage will make you wealthy, and that's that's what we're that's what we're talking about here is like don't over leverage, don't don't get yourself in over your head, and then have you know rents compress a little bit, or you have some vacancies that run a little longer than you anticipated, and then you don't have enough in reserves to to weather the storm. So, um, well, tell us um, tell us a couple stories that um, of some some deals you've worked with that you think the listeners might be interested in. I'll do the hard lessons one first, but I uh, bought uh, a couple properties from one investor. Um, he's an older gentleman and just didn't want to deal with them anymore. So I purchased, uh, I think there was five of them from him and I did my inspection and one property, the house uh, was literally uh, tilting sideways. Um, the floorboards were coming apart on the the first floor and someone was actually living in there. And so I told him I didn't want that property anymore, but he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to sell you the rest unless you take it because I don't know how else I'll get rid of it. (laughs) So I ended up buying it for $17,000 and it's been a nightmare, I guess, getting it rentable. Um, it's just drained money. I hired, uh, family friend, I guess, to do some of the work. And that was, that was a big mistake right there was Mm. hiring someone I know, and I didn't want to push them or confront them. And I actually ended up just nicely telling them that I found someone else to do the work who could finish it faster. Um, So that kind of ruffled our relationship a little bit, but Mm -hmm. that was my first mistake there was, um, hiring, you know, someone within our family. And then, um, it took the second people I hired, it took them probably another four months to complete it. Oh man! And so that's been my biggest struggle is just working with contractors and getting the right people in. And that's why I haven't taken on uh, really big rehab projects because I am just, I'm not good at managing contractors yet. So that's one thing I'm really trying to work on. But in the end, so this property, I ended up putting um, $5,000 into it when it shouldn't have cost near that much for what was done. Mm. So I, um, right now it's rented, uh, the upstairs rents for 700 and the downstairs rents for 500. So I ended up not being that bad like now that it's cash flowing, but um, so you've it got, was a, a painful yeah, year with that. <laughs> yeah, you've got net or you've got gross twelve hundred dollars a month coming in on it, and you got it. You bought it for seventeen thousand. How much do you think you spent getting it fixed up? All things considered, it was five thousand was total what went into it, which oh. in the scheme of things doesn't seem that bad, but yeah. it was. It was there wasn't that much work done to it for how long it took. Right, it was and know? it was a big headache. So you're in and it and just having it vacant for almost a year. Yeah, yeah. So you're hard. in it for for twenty two thousand dollars roughly, 
and yeah. and it's rented for twelve hundred. So you're you're mm-hmm. at a six percent rent ratio. Right, right. <laughs> that, yeah. That's the highest rent ratio I think I've had anyone talk about. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if that's your bad deal, I think you're doing pretty good. So yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, well, no, I know, getting... I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes it, the bad deals aren't about the numbers; they're about the time and the headache involved. You know, so. Um, yeah, that, that sounds like, yeah, that, that sounds like, um, that, that could have, that could have been interesting working with, working with family on stuff can always, can always go, go, uh, go haywire if you, if you're not really careful. So, but, um, okay. And tell us about one of your, your best deals. Okay. So my, I'll tell you the deal that I'm closing on today, actually, I, it's from the same guy that I bought that bad deal from, but he, um, he had two more properties left to sell. And, um, I hadn't bought them at the time. I just didn't have enough money and one of them I didn't want. So he, um, his son approached me about, uh, probably three months ago saying that his dad really wanted to sell them, get rid of them. Like would I make an offer on it? So I just wanted the four unit and there was a duplex too, and he would only sell them both together. So I ended up negotiating to 40000 for both of the buildings, which was a great deal. Um, the duplex did need a new roof on it. So that was why I got it, them both for forty. Well, I ended up uh, talking to some people and just letting them know that I didn't want this duplex and I, don't, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Well, my, one of my maintenance guys actually had a friend who wanted to buy a property and fix it up. So I took him to look at it. And I told him I'd sell it to him for 20000 and he agreed on the spot. And so I actually did my first wholesale deal. Nice. <laughs> I assigned the contract to the duplex to him. And so he'll be closing on that today also. But um, I ended up getting the four unit for only 20000 And it has uh, two residential apartments upstairs. And uh, they're both rented for $400 each a month. And then there are two uh, commercial properties downstairs that are, are vacant right now. But I, I'm really excited to get this property for 20000 Wow, that's great. So what, what did you yeah. add on your wholesale deal? Well, I, I, my contract was for 40000 for both of them, and I sold mm-hmm. him 20000 Gotcha. So basically, I'm just getting the four unit now for twenty. Gotcha, gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That's yeah. What a creative way to to attack that. I like I like the initiative there. That's great. I, and one thing I I didn't ask you that I'm sure the the listeners would be interested in to know is what is your you know net of operating expenses and debt payment? What are you netting per per door or per property on average for this portfolio? So it really depends on what when I first started and now because my deals now are so much better. But I was I'm right now it's between a hundred to two hundred dollars per door. So better deals two hundred per door and worse deals one hundred per door. So that's cool. That's that's good. That's good cash flow. We we shoot for um we try to shoot for two hundred depending on how good the property is. Some are less, some are more. So like I think I think that's um you're doing well there. So um what would be some, for, for those that are thinking about managing their own properties outside of the apps you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. what have you, what have you learned over time that's been the best way to fill a vacancy in, in a quick manner with a quality tenant? Is there anything that's helped you do that? Cause I know that's a struggle for some owning single families is just getting the vacancies filled. Yeah, sure. So, um, 
I try and list it wherever I can. And like we talked with Section 8, how they'll actually list your apartments for you. So that's a great resource resources contacting the housing organizations in your area and saying, hey, I have this vacancy coming up. These are the details. Here's some pictures. And they might even find your tenant. And the people that they're bringing to you are already like pre-approved with funding or they already know they have the funds for the security deposit. Um, and then I also post on Facebook Marketplace and then um, through the property management software, you can list on Zillow, and, which you can do without the, the software, obviously. But um, so once I start getting people to contact me, I set up their showings and then I have everyone fill out an application. And then um, I verify uh, credit references and then um, I do a background uh, check and a credit check. And that I do through Buildium, but there are so many different um, websites that offer this to you. And you just have the person applying pay the fee to run those. And I like can't recommend it enough that you'll really find out some information. Um, and then the other thing is doing as much as I want to do stuff remotely, like meeting the people person to person at the showing really tells you a lot. And I've learned that when people try to explain things to you, it's usually because they're trying to hide something mm. or make up for something. Mm -hmm. So I really like that face-to-face -face interaction. And mm. then with Facebook Marketplace, you'll get a ton of spam of just people saying they're interested and then they never respond back. But you can also, when someone is interested and they accept they're showing, you can click right on their Facebook profile and scan through it and see you what type of person they are. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoy using that as a tool. Nice. So, um, let's see, we had, so we, yeah, we had, we had some, <laughs> some potential tenants, uh, show up at a property. I went and met them and, um, the guy, the guy was kind of, I don't know. I, I just felt like something wasn't right, you know? Yeah. And he kept trying to exactly what you're saying. He kept trying to explain, why they wanted the property so bad. He was willing to write yeah. a check right then. Yeah. And that, you know, they had good rental history and all this other stuff. And I said, well, I'm, I'm excited that you guys are interested in the property and I, I'm excited to get your application. And, you know, I, I went and processed the application and the guys, I mean, the guy's credit was awful and yeah. had all these, had all these, you know, um, all these, basically financial issues going on and people coming after him for this and that. Wow. And I'm like, you know, if, and the people were nice people, you know, but it's like, if I had just, if I hadn't done my due diligence on it and just rented the thing to him, it would have been a nightmare, you know? Right. And so right. like, like you're saying, like there's, if people are like coming on strong with trying to explain everything, it's like, why do these people want this so bad? And I've also found that if they're willing to, you know, they're not even remotely concerned about the price of the property. And they're just willing to do a two-year lease for, you know, whatever you want, that kind right, of thing. Yeah. That's like a red flag, you know? So yeah, it's like, that's a good point there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, cool. Well, um, tell us tell us maybe your book or two you'd recommend um, our listeners check it out. Um, and yeah. Sure. So they're not real estate books, but I think it's so important to have a good, uh, if you're going to get into real estate investing and really want to be uh, successful, it's important to have a good uh, financial foundation yourself um, because you really, you can build wealth through real estate and you want to be able to manage that wealth and know how to grow that wealth. So 
um, I want to share two books with you. The first one is uh, the index card. Um, it's about personal finance and how it doesn't have to be complicated. And it's a short book, but it just gives um, really good points as to um, ways to build wealth and that it, it's not as hard as some people make it out to be. Cool. Um, and then the next book is The Automatic Millionaire by David Box. And I love this book because it's kind of just one of those eye-opening books where he just talks about, you know, ways to, while you're doing whatever you're doing behind you in the background, you're just automatically making money. Um, so I, I highly recommend that book too for, any, for anyone that wants to build wealth with real estate to see how you can use different systems and compound interest to really to grow well. Yeah. I've not read either one of those and both, both sound really interesting. I'm going to have to go check those out. Um, Hey, final question on the, I thought of something on the section eight that I didn't mention earlier. Is is there a, um, is there an upper limit to the rent, um, that can be charged on those like in an area? Like how, how do you know if your property would qualify as a section eight property? In other words, Um, can a property be too expensive or too nice? In other words, to qualify for section eight? Um, at least not in our area because, okay. um, the person is based, uh, it's based on what they can afford. Um, so section eight tells them, uh, for at least the housing organization we work with, they tell them, okay, we're going to pay this much for you. So if you find an apartment that's, you know, a thousand dollars and we're only paying 500, we're going to make sure you can afford that extra 500 before mm-hmm. we do the agreement. Um, so that if they are approved for paying an extra 500 themselves, then they would definitely get that voucher for that, that thousand dollars. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into that. I have not really explored that much. So, um, all right. Well, um, so I I guess the, the random question, uh, section of this, I'm going to throw one at you. What, what, what's been the most challenging aspect of being a dairy farmer? <laughs> well, um, I've probably been actually in the barn for like three times the past year. Oh, so really? that's a better question for my husband. But from my point of view, I would say um he has to work a lot. Uh mm-hmm. so it's very hard to travel. And I've made my business and my job so remote that I can do it from anywhere. And then but he's you know, here every morning, every night milking cows. So mm. I've actually been taking my kids on trips with me and yeah. I just leave him home with the baby. And, um, so that I'd say that's the hardest part is I've built, uh, my part of our life, um, kind of, you know, uh, be able to work remotely, stuff like yeah. that. But then his, his job isn't remotely yet. So. Yeah. That's cool. So I don't, know. I don't think his job would ever be able to do remotely. Yeah. But, um, so you guys, you guys have your own milk cows, and then I mean, do you pasteurize it and and basically just we, take take the milk gets, from from there to your own table? Um, we do. We do drink the milk. Cool. Um, yeah, fresh from the tank. But nice. uh, we have a, the milk truck comes every other day and picks it up and takes it to the milk factory. But very cool. Um, we have a smaller farm. We have about a um, hundred and. 30 and then we milk uh, uh, 63 cows. So mm. I bet New York with all the, the winners and stuff, I bet that's challenging. So yeah. Yeah. 
he, he gets up though. He's never complained a day in his life. And That's awesome. So, I love it. Yeah. Well, Ashley, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for for sharing your story and um, your tips and tricks on these apps that you shared. And and um, I love what you're doing. I think you've got a uh, you know going to continue to be really successful. And um, yeah, thanks thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I I love just our conversation and learning more about what you and your wife are doing. That was great too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let let's definitely keep in touch. And if you know, I'm. I'm uh, starting to transition out of single family into apartments, looking to buy apartments. So if you run across yeah. an apartment deal or any of the listeners run across a good apartment deal, you know, definitely reach out. Maybe we could work together on it. So yeah, sounds good. Cool. All right. Uh, we'll catch you later, Ashley. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank okay. you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to connect with you. So please hit me up on Instagram at daily real estate investor or on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to know more about this episode, check out our show notes along with the blog at dailyrealestateinvestor.com. And don't forget to sign up for the mailing list while you're there. We'll keep you up to date on the book in the works as well as new episodes. And tune in next time for another episode of the Daily Real Estate Investor. And do me a massive favor. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review for me, and share the show with your friends. Your support means the absolute world to me and know that I will do everything within my power to help you reach financial freedom through real estate investing. I love you each and believe you're capable of far more than you think possible.